Welcome to this episode of Upcycling with Deb. I'm your host, Deb Colometta. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Deb Colometta. I wrote a number one best-selling book called Best Offer, Best Life, and you can get that on Amazon. Today, I am joined by Coach Rick Muir. Coach Rick has trained not only thousands and thousands of runners to compete in marathons around the world, but he has helped to raise over a hundred million dollars. Coach Rick, thank you so much for being here today. Well, you're more than welcome. I'm happy to be here and to speak with your listeners. It may not surprise many of you, but I am not a marathoner myself. Ray, my husband, and I heard Coach Rick speak, and we were forever changed. Coach Rick spoke to a room of mostly non-runners and taught us so much about nutrition, the importance of movement, and the importance of mindset. And that's something that I've taken with me every day of my life since then. Coach Rick, how did you even get started running marathons? A few months after the fall of Saigon in Vietnam, I signed up for the military. And my recruiter encouraged me to run, to get into shape. And then when I went to my first duty station at Langley Air Force Base, Virginia, I continued to run. And one day was out running and saw three runners ahead of me and I caught up to them because I'm very competitive. And this was on a Friday and they said they were going to be running a marathon on Sunday and they discouraged me, which is all the motivation that I needed to run. Two days later, I ran that marathon. I passed all three of them. That was the beginning of my running career. That was 1978. I've been running marathons coming up on five decades. I think that's so interesting that you were saying that someone said you couldn't, and that was the moment that sparked it for you. You don't let people tell you you can't, you decide for yourself, and it all starts in your mind. How much of preparing for a marathon or a huge physical challenge, how much of your preparation is mental versus the physical preparation? First of all, I would like to say that, you know, when I think about being a marathoner, I think that every one of us has the spirit of a marathoner in us. It could be having a family getting a graduate degree, going for a job that you never imagined. Um, We all need and have that spirit within us. Sometimes it just takes a little spark to ignite a blazing fire within us. I would have to say that about 80% of anything that I've done of significance has been more mental than physical. I think that has been the case in my life as well, that once I just decide I'm doing it, I just get it done. And and part of it is just taking action, which starts in your brain. You start to either attract people who want to help you fulfill your goal and you start to repel <laughs> in a way other people who aren't don't have your best interest at heart. Do you agree? I completely agree. I think that a couple things happen when you embark on a significant journey, whatever that may be. People are attracted to that energy. And that commitment, the determination, the dedication, the discipline that something significant requires. And then the the people that don't believe in what you're doing or may not support you tend to fall by the wayside because you can't relate to them. It's been an amazing journey for me to be involved in coaching marathon runners for over 24 years that I now have this community of tens of thousands that are very similar to me. I'm not sure if people know or not, but um, I have been very proud to run the local turkey trot. 
<laughs> every year for the past couple of years. It's pretty much yes. the only uh, competitive mm -hmm. running I do. And the first time I ran it, um, well, I use the term run loosely, um, <laughs> but I... I almost broke the record for coming in last because I remember the police officers who weren't that far behind me were saying to each other, does she have a number on her jacket? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was so slow in, compete in, in completing that turkey trot. But the reason why I even did that was because we heard you speak about it in, um, in the spring and it was something that I had on my mind. I never would have considered trying something like that. And every year since we heard you speak, we've done the turkey trot and I think of you. So you are an agent of change. And one of the things that you do is that you don't just run the marathon, you inspire and help other people to run because your capacity for fundraising is at one level, but if you can inspire multiple teams of people to run, then you are exponentially more impactful with your fundraising efforts. Can you talk a little bit about how much you've helped to raise and some of the causes that you support? Well, I began fundraising back in 1997 uh, because in 1996, I lost my then 57-year-old mother to leukemia. And when I visited her and spoke with her for the very last time, literally for the very last time, I promised her that I would do something significant with my life. And I really didn't know what that meant, but I certainly felt it in my heart. And for me, uh, grieving involved running. And so I decided to run a marathon in her memory. And as I was standing in the starting corral, uh, serendipitously, I looked over and there was a sign that said, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of America. I literally felt that was a sign from my mother. And so I contacted them and I discovered they had an endurance training program. So I joined their team as a qualified runner. And shortly thereafter, I became their head coach. And with the help of a lot of people, uh, we raised collectively over 65 million dollars for leukemia research. Nothing significant in life is ever accomplished alone. 12 years ago, I founded the Marathon Coalition. On average, I coach about 300 runners a year for the Boston Marathon, and these are runners who run for New England-based charities. Um, so I think in the last 12 years, we've raised another 20 million, rather, so approaching 100 million over those 24 years. And it's been the most significant journey of my life. The Boston Marathon has been postponed. I, of course, follow you on Facebook and, and on social media. And in many ways, I would see your posts and I would think, okay, got to get some kind of exercise today. These people are out there training in the Boston winter. It would inspire me to get myself moving over the winter. To get that devastating news that it's been postponed, I can't imagine the, the crushing blow it must have been to the team. What did you tell them to keep their mindset positive and to keep them going strong as the, the finish line, so to speak, had been pushed back several months? It was disappointing, but I think the runners that I coach realized that we are defined by how we respond to setback, disappointment, failure. And so I think most of them, if not all of them, believe this was just another opportunity to define themselves and realize just like 
this global health crisis that we find ourselves in the midst of. We don't have any choice other than how we respond to an unfortunate situation. So it's just showing resiliency, recommitting themselves to another training cycle, which is, it's, you know, it's difficult, but I'm confident they're going to emerge with greater resolve and greater gratitude about everything they have. It's not like it was canceled. It was only postponed. As you were talking, it made me think, <clears throat> are you trying to get to a certain number on the scale and then you hit that number and then your weight starts to go up again? Or are you looking at a lifestyle change, a huge mental shift? So instead of just running the, on that date, they are now in the mindset of we are runners, we are training for this goal and putting that at the forefront rather than just running on a special day on the calendar. You had mentioned the global crisis that we're in at the moment and something that's on the minds of a lot of my peers and friends is nutrition during this time. And you talked about how it's very important what you fuel your body with. You said, your body craves what you give it. That's something to me that has really stopped me in my tracks when I want to stress eat, especially when we're, we're all kind of locked up in our houses these days. Can you talk a little bit about nutrition and what that means? Your body craves what you give it. Well, first of all, you have a great memory because I made that comment several years ago, but I also remember uh, why I said it. And what I have learned is that we are creatures of habit. We tend to move the same way with the books that we read, the types of programs we watch, the people we interact with. When we go to a restaurant, we tend to order the same foods. And so human behavior to me is very predictable. I'm an advocate of disrupting our movement patterns, uh, not just the physical movement, but the way we move through life. And what I've seen is that our bodies crave whatever we give them, our minds crave whatever we give them. Uh, and those cravings can turn to addictions. And those addictions are extremely hard to break. And they're no different than a drug or alcohol addiction, our addiction to carbohydrates, our addiction to comfort. So you have to be mindful that when we're self-isolating, uh, that we can develop these habits of sitting too long not getting up every 30 minutes and, and moving, and moving in a way that we typically would not move in. For instance, walk up or down the stairs backwards, or sit on a yoga ball rather than a traditional chair. Walk sideways, pick things up uh, that we typically wouldn't do. Start brushing your teeth with the opposite hand. Um, that may not be pretty, but within four or five days, your body acclimates to that movement. And suddenly you balance yourself because you're using both sides of your body. So in terms of nutrition, I really believe that if you train your body to eat three or four times a day, sometimes more, that's what it's going to crave. I eat no more than twice a day. I could have my last meal at seven o'clock at night, go to bed at nine o'clock, get up, do a workout, and not eat again until lunch. That's 14 or 15 hours of intermittent fasting. But if you're eating a diet comprised of carbohydrates, you will be very unlikely to be able to go that long because our bodies have two fuel sources, sugar and fat. And 
if you're eating mostly carbohydrates and sugar and you wanted to build this blazing fire, you would be running yourself tirelessly out in the woods foraging for these little twigs to keep that fire going. But if you were eating good fats like salmon, avocados, you would be burning fat. You could go long periods of time without eating. It would be like putting a big log on a fire and just sitting back and watching it burn. And that would be your body's energy source. And so people really need to do a self-assessment of how often they're eating, what they are eating, and what their nutrition is comprised of. Because if you're relying on sugar, I can tell you firsthand that sugar is probably the most powerful addiction you can have. More powerful than drugs or alcohol. And if you thrive on it and you're craving it and you're addicted to it, it's hard to break. I have never tried alcohol, but I have a lot of friends who are alcoholics and I go to the AA meetings with them and I know the power of addiction. I have my own addictions. I love to run. And I not only run, I run ultra marathons. I not only ride a motorcycle, but I go for world records riding across the country. So I come from a very addictive family. Most of my family members have chosen drugs, alcohol, and food. I've chosen other things, running, riding motorcycles, fly fishing, everything that I do. I have a very addictive personality and I pursue it with a vengeance. But when it comes to food, I think that's the biggest struggle people have in all societies. I've had the blessing of traveling the world and I've seen how people eat in Haiti and India and Korea and the way we live and eat in this country is very different. We are a society of consumption. Food is at the forefront of everything we do. If we're celebrating, we're eating. If we're grieving, we're eating. You just have to be very mindful of what you're eating and try to make healthy choices and changes and be very, very disciplined. What we put into our body is no different than the fuel that you put in your car. If you put in high octane fuel, it's going to perform better. If you eat whole foods, you are going to perform better. That's something that you taught us, and I hope that people listening can really rewind and listen to that again, because it's been monumental for us. And we haven't been able to successfully cut out sugar, but I know since the day you first said that, I know that when I eat sugar at night, in the morning, I wake up starving. And that doesn't, I don't like feeling out of control like that. And I love how you said that you have an, an addictive type of personality, but that you've chosen to redirect it. And instead of seeing it as a burden, you see it as a gift. I, I might also add, because I wrote an article early this morning for a fitness company, it's focused really on the importance of self assessment, creating a methodology and framework around how we live our lives. And for me as a running coach, I have my runners do a self-assessment in a number of key areas, and I'll mention those in a moment. But the self-assessment model is very simple. You would grade yourself on a scale of one to 10, 10 being perfect, 
realizing that you are seldom, if ever, going to be a 10 in any of these areas. But if you could be a consistent seven, you could totally transform your life into one of greater health. And the areas that I really focus on are nutrition, hydration, sleep, stress management, attitude. And the goal would be to be a consistent seven. And occasionally when you fall below a four, which many people do, especially in the area of nutrition, Monday through Friday, they could have prepared their foods, they could have been very disciplined, and they were a consistent seven. But then the weekend came. And when the weekend arrives, we tend to lower our guard around the things that we know we need to be disciplined in. And so you could go out with your friends on Friday night, have a couple glasses of wine, some nachos or other appetizers, and your nutrition falls from a seven to a two. The goal then is to not be paralyzed by hopelessness and despair, but to be inspired to get back to a seven as quickly as you can. But when I speak to groups, especially those who have struggled with food, two things always happen. Number one, I am inspired beyond words by their spirit. Even though they could be hundreds of pounds overweight, they could still possess the spirit of a marathoner. The one thing that they struggle with is their discipline around food. And so one of the more gratifying things I've done in my life is not to help someone fulfill a lifetime dream of finishing the Boston Marathon, but helping someone who has such low esteem begin to believe that they can be a totally different person and transform themselves into the best version of themselves. Everyone has that ability. Everyone has that potential. It just requires consistency and moderation. Doing things one day at a time, realizing that there are going to be setbacks. There will be disappointment. There will be failure. Any person in the world who's accomplished anything significant has experienced all those things in spades. It's a matter of picking yourself up at your lowest point, dusting yourself off, and getting back to the work of being the person you want to be. Wow. I, I cannot wait to read that article. I'm definitely going to include a link to the article for the listeners so that they can click on it and read it for themselves. You know, to think that what if? What if it's possible? When you planted the seed of being able to have me and Ray move more and start running and use our treadmill for a purpose other than <laughs> hanging our laundry and <laughs> storing boxes, um, yes. you know, using it. And, and I think that's something that people need to do as well. We've all bought on impulse buys the exercise equipment that we need. We have everything we need within the four walls of our house, most of the people listening to this. I loved how you presented the idea of how to run because I, the, the thing that I had always faced is that either I was grossly out of breath and still usually am, um, but or my my knees would hurt from running. And you talked about a simple method of your stride, how you should be striking the pavement. For anybody who is interested in just trying to get out there and run and, and just get some fresh air, can you introduce them to the idea of how you can safely run and, and what your secret is? Absolutely. Let me begin by taking a step back because you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to expound on. 
and we were speaking in the context of fulfilling a dream or achieving a goal and you use the word or you use the reference of a number on the scale. Um, the number on the scale is no different than the finish line of the Boston Marathon. Every dream begins with a goal. The dream might be to weigh what you weighed in high school. The dream might be to look the best you can at your son or daughter's wedding. The dream might be to run the Boston Marathon. We live in a very quantifiable society. The magic happens in the qualitative aspect. The qualitative aspect isn't achieving a 100 pound weight loss. It's the journey of what you had to do to get there. The culmination of the dream for me as a running coach of these tens of thousands of runners that I've helped reach the finish line of the Boston Marathon is not to cross the finish line on Boylston Street. That isn't the end of the journey. That is the beginning of a much longer journey of believing you can do anything you set your mind to. So whether it's weighing a certain amount, you know, hitting that number on the scale, or it's running the Boston Marathon in a certain time, that shouldn't be the end. That should be the beginning. And when people start to embrace that, then they start achieving things beyond their wildest imagination. But what I've seen too much is when people hit that goal, they should, rightfully so, celebrate, but they tend to go back. They regain the weight. I am 62 years old and I'm still active. Even though I've achieved all the things that I've wanted to physically, I'm still focused on achieving other things, being a better person, being a better dad, being more effective, um, fostering greater relationships with greater meaning. So I just wanted to, to expound on that a little bit, but to talk more about my running methodology, I have taken people in their 80s who have never run before. I have taken people who are 500 pounds, who have lost 320 pounds. I have seen those people totally transform themselves because they believe that they could achieve anything they put their mind to. Now, putting your mind to it goes hand in hand with being disciplined, dedicated, determined, resilient, but anybody could be a runner. Running is so easy, yet I have seen 99.9% .9 of the runners make it so difficult. I can't tell you how many people have said to me upon learning that I'm a running coach, I hate running. They've said that to me proudly, I hate running. And there's no greater sense of accomplishment than converting those people into lifelong runners by doing very simple things. It's consistent and moderate movement. And it's just going out and walking. I walked this morning six miles on my treadmill. Now I'll ride my spinning bike for probably two hours this evening and I'll go for a run today. That's an extreme thing. Most 62 year old people aren't doing that. I do it because movement is empowerment and it doesn't mean you have to run. It doesn't mean you have to uh, finish the Boston Marathon. It just means you have to move. Walking burns the same amount of calories per mile as running does. The difference is 
you might be able to run a mile in 10 minutes. It might take you 15 to 20 to walk it, but you're still going to burn about 100 calories. So I've taken hundreds of people and just encouraged them to walk consistently. You know, for the, for the listeners, I would say, take a map of your whatever state you live in. Since we live in Massachusetts, I'll use Massachusetts. I know that from the western border to the eastern border of our state is 165 miles. I know that because I ran that to raise money and awareness for people with intellectual disabilities. So think about putting that map up on your refrigerator and then use an app like Map My Walk. And every time you walk, you put a little mark on the Massachusetts Turnpike beginning in Western Massachusetts and you set a goal of walking across the state in say three months, maybe it's April, May and June. And then you put a calendar next to it and every time you walk, you put a black X and every time you don't, you put a red X. And when you see two or three consecutive red X's, that's a reminder that you need to return to being consistent and moderate. And just those simple motivators can get people off the couch and moving. But as far as my running methodology, it's very, very simple. You should run as slow as you possibly can. It would be the equivalent to a fast walk. And so there's a, a very fine line between walking fast and running slow. As I get older, I run slower and slower, but I enjoy my running more. I don't feel as tired at the end. I don't feel as beaten up the following day. So when you run, you should run quickly and quietly, almost like you're running on thin ice. And I know I used that analogy with you uh, when we spoke. The more steps that you can take, the more efficient you will be. That seems counterintuitive. It seems like you would waste more energy, but running is simply a controlled fall on one leg. So the quicker you can run with your cadence, not in terms of speed, but the quicker steps you can take, the more balanced you will be, the more efficient you will be. So you should strike with your feet close to your body and run quickly and quietly and try to increase your cadence. You should keep your hands close to your body, not reaching out. Well, I love that. I love that you make running accessible for everyone. You remove the excuses. And someone like yourself, who is a world-class athlete, can, instead of just you know taking a snobby mindset, you bring it down to wherever the people are. You meet them where they are, and you make it a possibility. And as soon as somebody hears something is possible, that's when the doors open up in your mind. That's and right. I, I can't tell you how much you have inspired me. I can't wait to read that article and share it with the listeners. Is there anything else you might like to add to, to share with our mm -hmm. listeners as we try to forge through this crazy time in our, our world? Yes, I would just say, you know, I was asked recently to define greatness, and it didn't take me a second to respond True greatness is not what we accomplish ourselves. It's the greatness that we inspire in others. Yes, this is a defining moment in our lives for our world. 
to really show what's important to us, to really show what we're capable of doing. We could so easily be paralyzed by fear, but we should be empowered and inspired to become the people that we know that we're capable of becoming. Yes, we have concerns about our health. We have concerns about what the new normal will look like when we emerge from this global health crisis, this pandemic. But it is so liberating when you can just take a moment, take a deep breath, and realize how fortunate we are. We have our health. We have our future. We have our freedom. Let's not focus on all the bad things that can happen. Let's be inspired by all the great things that can happen. Be positive, keep the faith, and do everything you can to help others. I love it. Thank you so much, Coach Rick. This has meant the world to me. But I really hope that um, people are able to hear your message and that it, you know, you continue to, to change lives and inspire others through this time period. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate your listeners. If you'd like to follow Coach Rick on Twitter, it's at Rick M, like mother, BMW. My name is Deb Colometta. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Deb Colometta or contact me through my website, thedebsite.com. Thank you so much for listening and for giving us your most valuable asset, which is your time. And tune in next time to hear more tips, tricks, and hacks on how you can start upcycling to live your best life.